can I start whenever I want now? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Because mm-hmm. last time I started when I wanted to, I got scolded. So I'm just <laughs> making sure that I can start whenever I want. <laughs> yes. Hello, and welcome to The Hobby Shelf. This is a podcast where we talk about books, board games, and really just anything we're interested in. This is episode 13, and today we're going to give you guys some winter recommendations. I'm Brenna, a freelance editor and an avid reader. And I'm Oren, a fake English major with a concentration in board games. So before we jump into our episode today, just a heads up that we only have one more episode before our holiday hiatus. So the last episode of 2019 will be on December 23rd, and that will be our 2019 in review episode. And then we will be back on January 6th with our 2020 goals. That seems like it's shorter than it is to me. Well, it's it's shorter to us because we have to record wow. in that hiatus. Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Oren, what have you been playing lately? I don't think I've actually played a board game this entire week since last episode. Yeah, I don't think so either. It's finals week for me, so I don't have fun times. <laughs> but you have been reading. I have been reading. I made it quite a ways through uh, Ninth House. It's getting good, people. I, I know I said last week it's getting good. Like, it is... I'm actually really into it now. There are elements in this book about, like... The premise of this book is there are secret societies on Yale's campus that do magic. And oh, some of the some of the scenes in this book are not quite as thematic or draw me in quite as much as the Night Circus. But they are very... There are some scenes in this book where I totally can imagine myself being there in that moment and it's amazing and i really really like it lee bardugo is doing well with this one um i am worried about finishing it i cannot read books that we get from the library because i'm halfway through the book and i have to give it back tomorrow Mm -hmm. so yeah good luck with that one (laughs) yeah yeah what have you been reading lately i have been reading so i finished the starless sea by aaron morgenstern Mm -hmm. that one i had such high hopes for and I still gave it three out of five, but I did not love it nearly as much as The Night Circus. The setting is really nice. Like, it's super interesting, very magical, very immersive, but there's no real plot line. And the characters felt underdeveloped, and the relationships between the characters felt underdeveloped, so I couldn't... It was like there was this gorgeous setting just waiting to be populated, and then nothing happened. Hmm. So it was disappointing. That's rough. Yeah, and also very, very slow. Because of the lack of plot, it was really hard to get into. I actually had to force myself through it. I thought of DNFing it, but I was like, I can't do that to this book. (laughs) (laughs) So you made it through. I did. I can't believe you made it through this book. So explain to us, just, we've never explained your star system. But explain to me now, you you said you struggled through this book, almost mm-hmm. DNF'd it, and you still give it three out of five stars. Explain yes. explain the thought process there to me. Like, what, what constitutes three stars? Have so, you ever given a two or less? No, I don't usually give books two or less because I DNF them if they have that rating. Like, if, a, if I think a book is going to get a two star or one star rating, I just don't finish it because mm. there's no point. Mm. Three stars means I liked it, but I didn't love it. So, like, it was still worth finishing, but I didn't love it. Four stars is, like, I really liked it. Some of my favorite books are four stars. And then five stars is, like, this book blew me away. Okay, so it's kind of like a threshold. Like, you don't even finish books you don't like. So there's no way to give a book. If a book is DNF'd, it's a two or a one. Yes. 
And then if the book is even worth reading, it gets a three. Mm -hmm. If it's a likable book, it gets a four. And then if it's an exceptional book... It's still likable even with three stars. Well, I guess likable isn't correct because you obviously like a book that you finish. But like, so three is, but three is like adequate. Yeah. Four is good. Three is like, it could have been better, but I liked it. Four is good. And then five is just exceptional. Yes. So like I gave the Starless Sea three stars because... You finished it. I enjoyed it enough to finish it, and I really like the setting. Like, Erin Morgenstern's writing is gorgeous and lyrical, and I have no idea how she comes up with these amazing settings, but it didn't get up to a four-star because it was lacking in so many other story elements. Yeah. So. Okay. Hmm. And then I finished Highway of Tears, which I really enjoyed. And I finally read Pumpkin Heads by Rainbow Rowell, which is illustrated by Faith Erin Hicks. That is a... Blast into three months ago. Yeah, that was from um, our fall recommendations episode. No, our spooky reads. Ah, so Blast into two months ago. Yes, because I recommended this for October because it's about a pumpkin patch and it's set in October on Halloween. I... <laughs> I read it while I was listening to Christmas music, which was slightly disorienting. <laughs> that is... <laughs> oh, I remember this. We were, were we setting up the, no, we weren't no, setting up the tree yet. It was before and, we set up the tree. Yeah, you and Evan were painting minis and my yeah. mom was playing Christmas music and I was reading Pumpkinheads. Yeah. Anyway, I really liked Pumpkinheads. I gave it four out of five stars because it's a really cute story and I love the illustrations and it is perfect for fall. Mm. It's not fall anymore. Took me that long to get it from the library, but it's perfect for fall. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. Cool. Well, that sounds like that's a lot more books. It's so funny to me that, like, every week we come on this podcast and you'll be like, oh, I've read four books, three books, five books. And I'm like, I have been reading the same book since we started this ep this podcast, I think. I think I've been reading Obsidio since we started this podcast. It's still not done. And then I moved on to the ninth, ho ninth House because we got it from the library and I'm not going to finish it before we get it back to the library. Yeah, but you're in school and you work as you well. You also work. Yeah, but I work, and my work is not as all-encompassing as school. It doesn't take as long. Anyways. <laughs> Let's get into our winter recommendations. Would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, I'll start us off with an awesome board game. My first recommendation is actually a board game that I haven't played yet. It is called Dead of Winter. This is a board game. It's called Dead of Winter, a crossroads game. I believe... I, oh, let me just bring it up here so that I can actually talk about... Yes, okay, so it is designed by Isaac Vega, Jonathan Gilmore, and then it has art by David Richards, Peter Walken, and Fernanda Suarez. This is a game that it's two to five players. It's a social deduction game and hidden motive game. So it's semi-cooperative. Now I'm going to explain what those terms mean for anyone who doesn't understand that. Semi-cooperative means that most of the people, if not all the people, are actually working together. And this makes more sense when I explain what a hidden motive game and a social deduction game is. Social deduction, if you've ever played, for example, I want to say Mafia. It's a game that a lot of people know about. It's just a game. It's I don't even think it's a real... Like, it's a game that you play with a regular deck of cards. There are some people who are part of the Mafia. There are some people who are peasants. And there are some people who are um, police. And the main premise of that game is that no one knows who the other people are. So in Dead of Winter... You are all survivors living in a, like, essentially a last bastion of hope in a zombie apocalypse. And you're heading into winter, and you need to stockpile so you can survive the winter. But what you don't know is that someone 
has turned rogue in your colony and is trying to sabotage you so you don't make it through the winter so that they either they've gone insane or they are actually part of a rival colony or something like that. If you've watched The Walking Dead past season one, I think you kind of understand what Dead of Winter is going for because Dead of Winter is not a zombie game where the main threat is the zombies. Dead of Winter is a zombie game where the main threat are the other humans around you and the, the main tension comes from the fact that you don't know if everyone's on your side or what everyone's trying to achieve. And I think Dead of Winter does this very well. I have not played this game. I have very trusted sources though that own this game who have said it's incredible. I definitely recommend checking out Dead of Winter. It's really interesting. Yeah. Like, if you are into The Walking Dead, you should get Dead of Winter. Like, I know there... I think there is Walking Dead board games. I know there are Walking Dead video games. But I think there's a one Walking Dead board game. Oh, I'm sure there are. I think this does a better job of evoking that feeling of the zombies are not the worst enemies out there than any b board game that does zombies ever. So, if this is a hidden mode of game involving zombies, though, are yeah. there people who are zombies? In the game? No, so here's so the everyone gets a motive, and there's essentially two types of motives. There is the colonist motive, and then there's the traitor motive. And the traitor is trying to sabotage the colony without getting ousted by the colony before winter hits. Mm -hmm. So their job, so every every round or every time you go through a, I guess, season in this game, not a season, but like a, we'll just call it a round, a time period in this game. There's a colony goal, and then everyone else has other goals that they're trying to take care of. And on top of that, there are zombies everywhere. So you might be leaving the colony to go scrounge around for supplies. Later on, you're going to need to hiddenly, you all decide how much you're going to donate essentially to the colony or keep for yourself. And if you donate enough to the colony to meet its round goal, then the colony will do well. But if you don't donate enough, the colony will do badly. The problem is the trader's goal is to make sure that the colony does badly. So they're trying to make sure that people around the table either are not getting the resources that they need, don't trust each other, or they're just straight up, you could play the game and be the traitor outright. But the problem is, as soon as the people find out who the traitor is, they can essentially vote to kick you out of the colony. Which doesn't end your gameplay. Like, you're still in the game, but you don't have the protection of the colony at night. So there's no, the zombies can come and attack you at any so time. So is there an actual board? There is a board. So the board is the colony, and then there are different player mats that you can go to. I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, there are different player mats, or maybe it's just your own player mat that you can go to, and you can go to different locations on your player mat, and different zombies will be at different locations, or different amounts of zombies will be at different locations. Okay. And if you get kicked out of the colony, you no longer have the safety of the colony at night, and therefore when you are trying to get some sleep, zombies might creep up on you. And so the goal of the traders is to kind of make sure that they're trying to spread rumors, essentially, to get it so that other people get voted out of the colony, but at the same time trying to make sure that the colony fails by doing their own thing, but they also don't want to be found out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, it creates, it really, like, the zombies are there, and they're an ever-present threat. You will lose to the zombies, probably. But your goal is not to deal with the zombies. Your goal is to make sure that the colony does well. And in order to make the colony do well, you have to find out who the traitor is. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think, like, it, it literally is in the name Dead of Winter. It is about going into winter. I know that it's a zombie game, but it is, as zombie games go, I, it, I think it's one of the best rated zombie games out there. So I would definitely check this out if you're into The Walking Dead. Or, I mean, if you just need something new in your life of strategy board games or cooperative board games. Cool. Yeah. What's your first book? 
Well, I'm going to mention, I have two honorable mentions and then I'll jump into my actual first book. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think winter, in terms of reading, for me, winter is very much a fantasy and historical fiction season. Oh, okay. Because winter is that time of year when you want to really curl up, stay inside, drink tea, and hibernate. And so it's a really good reading season. Okay. And I like to jump into kind of books that are a little bit heavier and also books that provide a lot of escapism. Because I think those books that take you somewhere else in the winter help you get out of the house and have less cabin fever. Uh, okay. I guess. Okay. So uh, the first book that I want to mention is The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak, which I talked about on episode eight. It's one of my favorite books of all time, and it gives me winter vibes, I think because of, I mean, there's summer in the book as well, but a lot of the book takes place in the winter, and also it's just a good historical fiction book to jump into. Hmm. And then my other honorable mention is The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern, which we've talked about many times. Hmm. And that book, I think, is perfect for winter because... The circus itself gives me winter vibes, and also it's so intensely atm- atmospheric. Well, there is a there is a location in the book which isn't particularly important to the story, so I feel comfortable talking about this. There's a location in the book that you visit several times in this book called the Ice Garden, mm-hmm. and that definitely gives me winter vibes because it is literally just a magical ice garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just a really good book, like, so full of magic. Mm -hmm. It's, like, perfect for winter. Yeah. Um, And then, okay, my actual first recommendation, that's not an honorable mention, is Between Shades of Grey by Ruta Sepetys. I think this is the third episode in a row that I've talked about Ruta (laughs) Sepetys, but I love her book so much that it is acceptable. So Between Shades of Grey is set in 1941 during the Nazi occupation of Lithuania. So it's about a 15-year-old girl named Lena who is forced out of her home with her family and she gets separated from her dad. So she and her mother and her brother are forced onto this train and they're shipped off to a work camp in Siberia. And they're, I think they're there to dig up beets or something. Like they're doing grueling work in this absolutely freezing environment where they're struggling to survive. And obviously they're in a work camp, so they're not treated very well. Mm. So it's a really hard hitting story about survival and endurance and the cruelty of humanity, but it's also about hope and love and art because Lena, she loves drawing and I think it's she finds charcoal or something to draw with and that kind of gets her through it, Mm. gets her family through the tough time. Mm. So it is, I mean, most of Ruta Sepetti's, her books are all pretty hard-hitting. This one was the first one I read and I definitely cried. So beware when you read this that it's very heavy material. Well, I mean, it's about the Holocaust essentially. Like, it's not about specifically that, but it's about that time period, so it's... Yep. What's your next recommendation? (sighs) Okay, so my next recommendation is Champions of Midgard. This is a game by Olsteinus? Or Steinus. I think it's Olsteinus. And it has art by Victor Perez Corbella. This is a board game that I really like a lot. It is a worker placement dice rolling game. It has themes of mythology, so that's immediately appealing to me. It's Norse. It's Norse mythology, which is extremely appealing to me at this moment in time. Like, not not just... Well, it always is, but it's particularly relevant right now. Yeah, and I would say, actually, like, I think that when it comes to holidays and, like, winter, 
the winter solstice specifically, like I know almost every mythology has something with the winter solstice. Like it's not just in Norse mythology, but like it makes me think of Europe and it makes me think of Stonehenge and it makes me think of, and all these places that are influenced heavily by, you know, Scandinavian culture and Norse mythology. Mm -hmm. So like these are things that make me think of the winter. So that's just my little plug for why this is even a winter game. Um, but it has worker placement, dice rolling, and then like fantasy medieval fighting. So this is a really cool game. It, um, the way it works out is every round you have, I believe, a certain number of rounds. Every round you are putting your workers, you, so you have actual workers that you put into the town of Midgard, or it's like a keep. And what you're trying to do is collect resources to, to train and make warriors. It's very like like Valhalla-esque. In fact, there is an expansion of this board game called Valhalla. But anyways, regardless of that, you are trying to get your workers in the form of dice, or get your warriors, sorry, in the form of dice, and then you are trying to assign those warriors to head off on either grand adventures across the ocean to slay scary monsters in the ocean or beyond it. So that's very Norse to me. Or you can uh, use your warriors to fight off Draugr that will periodically attack the town, or you can go off and, or no, sorry, the troll which will periodically attack the town, or you can go into the crypts and fight off the Draugr, which is essentially, I believe, not necessarily, but they're like essentially unhonored dead that have come back to life. So anyone who has gone to hell, or I, it might have something specific to do with warriors that die at sea <laughs> who are unhonored because they're very wet. Anyways, <laughs> I'm getting a little too into the mythology here. But this game is really, really fun. Um, if you like, um, another game that we've talked about on here is Lords of Waterdeep. If you like Lords of Waterdeep and you like dice rolling, I actually strongly recommend this game. This game is highly rated on, uh, on Board Game Geek. And if you have the funds to expend to get the expansions with it, Dice Tower, um, I believe it was Tom Vassell specifically said, in order for this game to be like, a really good experience you need the expansion of valhalla and you need the expansion of the dark mountain i actually probably i mean we've never played with valhalla but part of what i don't like about champions of midgard is that you're the way you roll your dice can really hurt you like yes. it can be really random because if you don't roll the dice properly you're just gonna die all the time and i think the valhalla expansion would make it better because it enables you to still play and still be in it even after you're dead yeah so it's it's, it's awesome it's very thematic the valhalla expansion as we've mentioned now many times um is actually an expansion where your workers that are your workers your warriors that die in battle against these monsters can actually go to Valhalla and earn you points in the form of honor, which is really, really cool. And it's really thematic itself. Like, I think it's awesome. If you're into Norse mythology, check out Champions of Midgard. Mm -hmm. um, there's a new board game, just an honorable mention here. I don't know very much about it, so I'm not going to recommend it here. But there's a new board game by the same publishing house called Reavers of Midgard. And it is a sequel to this game. Has very different, I wouldn't say theme, but very different object. Similar mechanics, though. There's still warrior dice in it and worker placement, but it's a different kind of uh, outcome or a different kind of direction that the game is taking. So check out those if you're if you're into Norse mythology. If you agree with me and you think for some reason you associate Norse with winter for some reason, do that because it's awesome. That works really well for my next book. Oh, awesome. Because we're staying in the Scandinavian sphere. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about East by Edith Patu. Oh. 
Um, I talked about that was a good noise, by the way, listeners. It sounded like it could have been bad, but that oh was... no, that that was me being excited about it. Sorry, <laughs> Ugh, I hate it. No. So I talked about West in episode ten, which is the sequel to East. East came out like over a decade ago. I think. It's one of my absolute favorite childhood books. I love this book so much. So it is set in Norway, which is why it works really well mm. with mm. what Orin just talked about. It's about a girl named Rose who lives in Norway with her family, and throughout her young life she had always seen like a white bear around their home, and one time, if I recall correctly, she almost drowns in a river, and the bear actually saves her life. So at one point when she's a teenager, her sister gets sick and the white bear shows up and says that her sister will live if Rose goes with him. And her family doesn't want Rose to go, but mm. Rose is like, no, like, I know this bear, I've seen him around, I really believe that if I go with him, my sister will get better, so she goes with the white bear. Mm. He takes her to a castle in a mountain where she has to live with him for a unmentioned amount of time. Mm. She just has to live with him in the mountain. And every night... When the lights go out and she's lying in bed, some mysterious stranger comes and sleeps in the same bed as her, and she doesn't know who it is, and she goes through all these things trying to figure out who it is. So that's all I can really say without spoiling it. <laughs> <laughs> it's based on the um, Norwegian fairy tale called East of the Sun and West of the Moon. Uh, more familiar to people probably is Beauty and the Beast, ah. which is kind of along the same lines, although there's a whole... That's kind of just the first part of the book. Something happens and then it kind of launches into a whole other adventure tale that I can't get into without spoilers. Yeah. So, but it is one of my favorite books and I think it's perfect for winter because it's set in Norway and there are some other things in there that are cold that I can't talk about. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Can we just talk about for a second? Like, what is it? I want to analyze this for a second because it's clear that like you and I both kind of associate like Nordic countries with winter or not i guess yeah with winter well i mean look at frozen it's set in norway too yeah like i mean i get like i guess they're they're close to the north so it it would get very cold in the winter well and winter is really magical there and they have a lot of fairy tales set in the winter uh it must be it must be because of that it must be because like canada also gets cold in the winter and i mean russia gets really cold in the winter oh there's a lot i have more on my list too that are set in russia yeah we need some canadian things set in the winter the only thing, there the only is thing one... I can think about that's Canadian and set in the winter right now for some reason is Into the Wild. No, Into the Wild's not very wintry. Well, the guy has a problem in the winter. Yeah, but it's more of a, I think that's more of a summer book. I know. I don't know why. But speaking of Canadian recommendations for winter, there is a book by Frederick Bachman called Bear Town, which is about hockey. And I've heard amazing things about that. Hmm. I have not read it yet, but that is probably a good winter read that is Canadian. Oh, little bonus reckon. At least, actually, maybe it's not Canadian. Maybe I just thought it was Canadian because it's about hockey. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, that's the thing, though. Like, I associate winter with hockey in Canada. Mm -hmm. That's about it, though. Like, when, when it comes to magical and mystical things, it's all Nordic countries in Europe to me. Oh, here's one. Um, oh, I, I'm gonna have to look this up really quickly. Okay. While you look that up, I'll move on to my next one. Um, and just keeping with this theme of Nordic things, I'm going to talk about a board game that I am very hit or miss on. And this one is actually Ticket to Ride Nordic Countries. So this is a, I believe it's only up to three players. 
and it is a board game that is designed by Alan R. Moon. I'm not actually 100% certain if he designed all of the Ticket to Ride games. It has art by Julian Duvall and Cyril Daujean, or Daujean. If you know what Ticket to Ride is, it's the same game. For those of you who do not know what Ticket to Ride is, it is a card drafting, set collection, and hand management game that you are trying to essentially set up a route of trains to earn the most points. And what I mean by all of that jargon there, card drafting means essentially there's a deck of cards that you are trying to collect a hand of certain cards from the available resources available to all players, if that makes sense. There's resources available to all players, you want to be the one to get the resources that you need. This is where hand management comes in. In order to play those trains that I said to set up your routes, you need to have the right colors of trains, essentially, to be able to play onto the board. And then finally, the way that you earn points is through setting up specific routes which you earn at the beginning of the game. I am not a huge fan of Ticket to Ride simply because it causes me a lot of stress. But honestly, like I, I think for the past like several New Years, I have played Ticket to Ride Nordic Countries. It's a three-player version of the original game. It's really fun. It's, uh, I don't know, it's small. It's not as quick as the new ones like New York or London. But it's just, it, it makes me feel like the holidays. It makes me feel like winter. So I recommend it to you guys to check out, not even not just because of the um, theme, which is Nordic, which we've already kind of discussed, but also just because to me it feels kind of like winter. Yeah, so check that one out. What were you uh, looking up while I was doing that? Um, so I remembered a book that I read like right at the beginning of the year in 2018. It's called Scion of the Fox, and it is uh, set in Canada, actually. It's fantasy, oh. a fantasy book set in Winnipeg. And it's about this girl named Roan Harkin who... Oh, I don't even know how to, like, describe it. <laughs> like, she is saved from dying by a fox spirit named Syl, and then she has to, like, learn how to use this ancient power to defeat a snake monster that lives at the bottom of the ocean called Zabor. Is this wintry? Yes, it's super wintry, because it starts in winter just when ice starts to thaw. Oh. That's when it's set, and, like, the that cover... That sounds like spring. No, it's definitely winter. Oh, okay. I mean, it's, it's kind of springy, but it's more winter because there's a lot of ice and snow and the cover looks super wintry. There's a fox on it. It's a nice cover. That's why I read it. <laughs> hey, just as a little bit of a side discourse here's for all the listeners out there. I had originally argued that we should make a YouTube channel rather than a podcast so that you guys could see the things that Brenner is, is talking about when it comes to covers and I could show off board games, but we decided to go with a podcast. We don't regret it but you would be Just able to tell what she's looking at. You can see him if you look him up. Anyway, my next recommendation, that's not the Canadian thing. That was like a side side note. Yeah. Um, my next recommendation for winter is The Alice Network by Kate Quinn. And The Alice Network was actually my favorite book of 2018. It is such a good book. And it is historical fiction, which is why I read it in the winter. Mm. I don't know. I, I don't know why I associate historical fiction with winter. Well, you also got lent it. I did. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about two women from very different walks of life. So there's like two different storylines, different time settings that end up coming together. So it starts in 1947 with this girl named Charlie St. Clair. She's a pregnant American college girl who's trying to find her cousin who went missing in Nazi-occupied France during World War II. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. <laughs> she ends up 
she gets given this contact name, and she goes to this lady's house, and this woman's name is Eve Gardiner, and she's, I don't know if it's Gardiner or Gardiner. I'm just gonna say Eve Gardiner. Okay. Anyway, she goes to her (laughs) house to try and recruit her help to find her missing cousin, and then it flashes back in time to 1915, and we learn about Eve's past, Mm. because Eve was part of something called the Alice Network, which was actually a real network of spies that existed. And she worked as a spy in France trying to get information from the Germans and sabotage their war effort. Mm. So, like, this, it's based on the spy network of women who actually sabotaged the Germans mm-hmm. during World War I. Mm-hmm. And it brings together World War I and World War II through these two women and their relationship, and it delves into, like, the trauma of the war and how just incredible these women were and the types of things that they would do to get information. Like, I can't... Man, it's it's harsh. Yeah. I mean, it was World War. It was... Well, and she worked, like, I think it was, she worked in a restaurant, but she had to, like, cozy up to her German boss, mm-hmm. you know, to get stuff out of him. And, yeah. like, the, the things that these women put themselves through on behalf of their countries is just nuts to me. Yeah. Like, it's completely unimaginable, the stuff that they went through, and honorable that they went to such lengths and took risks like that. Yeah. Patriotism is so hard to understand sometimes. And it, and often I feel like, I don't know why, for me, I often associate it with very negative things like patriotism. Well, it's not even so much. Well, no, but like, like here's patriotism. the thing though. It's good. Like in this book, that patriotism, like even though they were like women were denied the ability to be patriotic most of the time. But in this case, cause I agree that patriotism can definitely be bad. Yeah. But like in this case, patriotism for the war efforts wasn't just for like, oh, the country, but it's to save people's lives. Yeah. Right. And I guess I should amend my statement. Women were, I guess, denied the ability to be patriotic. They could be patriotic, just, I guess, working in the factories, you know, like that was about it, you know? It was different. Yeah. But this is why when we were talking about front lines a couple of episodes ago, like... Was that the, that's the one where the guy imagined a alternate yeah yeah and i was actually going to talk about that too because it's so cool that like like this book is an example of how to do it right like like these are real stories obviously the book is not exactly historical it's fiction because front lines presented the alternate history of women fighting on the front lines in the war and i felt like it was just a little bit disrespectful to i mean this book is fictional as well these are not real women but this story is based on the efforts of women who did fight on the front lines just in a spy capacity. Yeah. But it's like they still went through such horrific things. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's not (laughs) wrong to imagine alternate histories. It's just, again, the idea that, like, when you imagine alternate histories and don't base it off of, like, and change something so fundamental, like the ability for women to be conscripted and to to choose to fight for their country, it's so weird that he made also the decision to not remove that barrier of like heavy discrimination yeah although at the same time it's it's important because like women are discriminated against yeah you can go back and we have a more full discussion about this in our episode about book clubs and party games yeah either way alice network i agree with you like i haven't read it but when you told me about this book like it sounds so good and just like so it's not as hard hitting, I don't think, as some other books that I've experienced or that you've told me about. 
but it it's still extremely like it's still emotional and like it it's evocative and it's very it is thought provoking at the same time. It gets pretty graphic. Yeah, I don't know. I just when I say hard hitting, I don't know what I mean by that. Like, like hard hitting the same way that I guess would you describe it like it it has the same kind of in your face hard hitting I guess despair that for example what was the book. Um, like Highway, Highway of, of Tears. Tears. You know no, what I mean? Because, like, see, it's it's kind of different. Well, it's different in the saying. fact that Highway of Tears is nonfiction. Yeah. This is fiction based on reality. Yeah. So it's still hard-hitting, but it's not hard-hitting in the way that, like, these weren't real people that she's writing about. Yeah. She took well, they real were real people. <laughs> no. She took real stories and then created fictional characters based on that. So it's still hard-hitting, but it's like these specific scenarios didn't happen. So it's not... But they may be based, in fact, too. Yeah, but to me, it's not really comparable because they're different situa- situations. Situations? <laughs> different situations. All right, go to your next winter recommendation. All right, my following two winter recommendations here are... Um, one of them is heavily based on my personal experience. So when we get to that one, you guys can take it or leave it, however you like. And then this one, we've already talked about Final Flick tier on this podcast before, but I'm going to talk about it again today. Because of one thing in this game. It's not, it's a space game, but you guys gotta hear me out here. Okay, so Final Flick Tier is a dexterity 4X game built by Gabe Barrett. Really interesting combination there because when you think of 4X, if you know what 4X means, I will explain it now. It means um, extermination, exploitation, exploration, and extermination, exploitation. Essentially colonialism in a box. <laughs> uh- <laughs> colonialism in a box. <laughs> But usually these these games take place in space because um, I guess you have to remove it from people's actual experience of colonialism for anyone to even want to buy a game that's based off of colonialism anymore. But regardless, those games that are like this are usually extremely complicated, have grand strategy, and require a lot of like heavy thinking, but not a lot of dexterity as opposed to this game which is like here flick your dice around a little map and then do things so yeah it's it's fun this game is awesome really ingenious design it has art by drew corkhill and ash jackson the reason why this is a winter recommendation for me there is a i believe this might have even been a kickstarter exclusive but i know that you can i think you can get this game now through gabe barrett's website barrett publishing there's a alien race in this that is just Santa. It's great, guys. It's just straight up Santa. <laughs> I played Santa. <laughs> so in this game, most races or most, I guess, civilizations, they're not races, basically. They're they're civilizations of people. But most civilizations have these little buildings that you can set up on the board and they give you points at the end of the game if you have them. Most of them have like what? Like, I don't know, four, maybe six buildings total? Mm-hmm. This race or civilization has... One for every single planet on it the board. It has 11. It has 11. 11 presents. And they're presents. And what your goal is, is to give a, pr- a present or a factory present to every... A factory present? Give presents to every planet on the board. And instead of, like, your home base, you build Santa's workshop. Yeah. It's great. Which is just hilarious to me. Like, I just think it's awesome. I know it's... I know that this might be a hard one to get your hands on, but I would definitely... Maybe check into it. If you're into dexterity games, I strongly recommend this. Like, this is the first dexterity game that I've had experience with. I guess other than Jenga. Or Crokinole. Or Crokinole. Ooh, Crokinole's fun. 
Anyways, um, I guess it's not the first. It's just, I don't think, when I think modern games, like games that are now being published all the time, I don't think Dexterity, because there's not a lot of good Dexterity games out there. Like, I think the only other one that I know of is Flip Ships, and it's essentially like... Yeah, that's the only one I've really heard of. It's essentially like the idea, you ever, you know, like the hand football game where, like, someone makes a goal and then someone flicks a football through your hand goal? That's mm-hmm. what Flip Ships is, essentially. So, like, it's just weird. It's cool to see that people are designing things interestingly with this sort of mechanic. Also, it's about delivering presence throughout the galaxy as an alien, which is fun. Also, I believe the backstory of this alien is that he was, like, a big crime boss, and he was like, I'm leaving it all behind. I'm becoming Santa now. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe check out Flick, Final Flick here if you're interested in it. I believe you can get it on his website called BarrettPublishing.com. Something like that. (laughs) Anyways, what is your next book, babe? Okay, so my last two winter recommendations I haven't actually read, but they've been on my list for a really long time, and I'm hoping to read them before the winter is over, which actually is doable because winter in Calgary lasts a long time. Absolutely. (laughs) So I can probably get my hands on them. I mean, it might last into, you know, like March, June sometimes even. Definitely March, yeah. March to June is three months. I am not good. I'm like not... April or May, try. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so this book is called The Snow Child by A.O. and Ivy. It is set in Alaska in 1920. It's about a couple. Their names are Jack and Mabel, and they want kids, but they haven't been able to have one, and they're drifting ap- apart as a result of this. So they decide to build a child out of snow. Hmm. When it, they first snowfall happens, they decide to build this child out of snow. Okay. Then the next day they wake up, that snow child they built is gone, but they find a girl named Faina running through the woods, hunting with her little buddy who's a red fox. Huh. And they get to know her. They're like, how have you been surviving <laughs> in the Alaskan woods by yourself? Mm-hmm. They get to know her. They treat her as their own child, but then they find out something about her that changes everything Hmm. and i don't know what it is because i haven't read the book yet Hmm. but the cover looks really pretty and the concept just sounds interesting yeah because i can't tell if it's actually like a fairy tale or it sounds fairy tale-esque yeah you know like the idea of i don't know the first thing that jumped into my mind was changelings in like Mm -hmm. like like, in celtic mythology yeah like like the idea of like the fey people and like the idea of a changeling even though that was almost always negative in (laughs) in um in their I guess, beliefs, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Cool. I think it would be a good winter book because it's set in Alaska and it's literally called The Snow Child. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. My last board game here is Game of Thrones Risk. Oh, that's a good one. This is not, like, I don't know. I know that, like, there's the whole, like, like if you're into Game of Thrones, like, I am not a huge fan of Game of Thrones. I haven't read the books. I haven't watched the entire series. I'm not even a huge fan of Risk. What it is, is I spend the holidays often with some people who love Risk and who love Game of Thrones. So they have a copy of Game of Thrones Risk. And I actually really enjoy it. It's fun. Like, I I know that Risk is very hit or miss for some people because of the way that combat is completely random sometimes. And that can really kill you. I enjoy playing Game of Thrones Risk. It's too long, but it it feels like winter to me. It feels like New Year's. When I when it's time to, for New Year's, I feel like I can play this game. Well, and Game of Thrones itself is pretty wintry. Yeah, well, I mean, winter is coming. Ooh. Exactly. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I know that Game of Thrones can often be overhyped. 
So know that I am recommending this because it just feels like a winter game to me, not because I love Game of Thrones or because, you know, like I just like this game. And I think personally, it might be one of the best risk setups that has ever been launched. Like I've played Lord of the Rings Risk. I played original Risk. I played this one. This one feels really good. You play this one on the Westeros map, right? You can play it on Westeros or Estros. Oh. And if you really want to be crazy and wait and play this game over, I guess, a month, uh, you can <laughs> play it with both with up to seven people. Wow. Which is crazy. And it's you, a get cool... to, you get to play as each house. Like, yeah, you get so to like you can house. play as the, the Lannisters, you can play as the Starks, you can play as, I think my favorite one to play as is the, the people who start on the Iron Isles. Um, oh. I think you can play as them. Like Theon, like the Greyjoys? Yeah, I think you can play as the Greyjoys. Um, and it's just really cool. It's it's a it's a beautiful map. It's a interesting map as well. It like really sets up um, some interesting um, some interesting dynamics because there's the whole north. Like just like in regular Game of Thrones, like the entire north is a huge location. But if you are the person in risk who can pull the north together and unite it, the north is the strongest for the amount of troops that you get. But it's just so hard to hold together because someone can come in and just, it takes like one tiny little spot in the north to go away for your your entire bonus to go away. And I feel like it's really evocative of, if you're into Game of Thrones, the actual feeling of Game of Thrones. I think I'd have to play the Starks out of obligation. <laughs> yeah. The one thing about it is you don't start, uh, I think you start in in the ancestral homeland of the house, but other than that, everything else is random. Mm-hmm. So... And you can play this game with, like, special abilities as well. So, like, and I don't know, like, if you really feel like getting into it, I would maybe recommend doing them. Some of them feel a little bit powerful. Like, there is a house or, like, a, a special character that has the special ability to just straight up remove another person's ability for the rest of the game. And then there's another person. Can't you, like, kill people? Like, you can kill specific characters? Yeah. Um, Cersei from the House Lannisters. Mm -hmm. has the ability to essentially just get an assassin to straight up merc one of your abilities for the rest of the game or like merc one of your heroes for the rest of the game, <laughs> which is hilarious and also very true, but it feels overpowered when for the rest of the game, you're just one person down, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, I recommend this game if only for the fact that to me, it feels evocative of winter and of New Year's. So check it out. Nice. I'm not saying Risk is an incredible game that you should play it all the time, but maybe over the holidays, if you're feeling like playing something from your childhood or if you're feeling like playing something new, maybe try it. Cool. Yeah. My last recommendation, so I haven't read this one either. It has been on my list for a long time, and I know a friend of mine who loves this book. It is called The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden. Mm. This is the first novel in the Winter Night trilogy, and go look up the cover because it is dang beautiful. <laughs> Just saying. Winter Night Trilogy. Yes. Ooh. So this is set in the Russian wilderness. Okay. Here's where we bring in some Russia. Russia. Um, the protagonist is a young girl named Vasilisa who loves listening to her nurse's fairy tales. Okay. Especially one about, is it like a creature or a demon named Frost? Huh. Yeah, I can't remember. But her mother dies and then her father marries another woman who forces Vasilisa's family to stop honoring their household spirits, which sounds like a horrible idea and is a horrible <laughs> idea, because as soon as they stop 
honoring the household spirits, some sort of horror gets unleashed on Vasilisa and her family. Wow. And she has to use, I, I don't know what it is exactly, she has to use her special gift to save everyone. Okay. I don't know what her special gift is, but I know the book is a fantasy, so there's probably some kind of magic in there. Cool. And I think that it ties in elements of the fairy tale stories that her nurse told her at the beginning of the book. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So, and I've, I've heard that it's like a fairy tale retelling. I'm wondering if it's like a Cinderella type deal because she's got an evil stepmother. Yeah. But there are also a lot of fairy tales with evil stepmothers, so. Yeah. I would be interested in checking it out. That just sounds kind of like an interesting, yeah, that sounds cool to me. Yeah, and it sounds super wintry because it's set in Russia and there's going to be a lot of snow and stuff in it and then there's all the magic. Yeah. So I'm, like, excited to read that one. Yeah. All of this talking about, like, Scandinavian culture and all this, like, and the fact that I'm just so into Norse mythology right now for D&D, there's, like, a video game that I think I saw, like, a while ago. This is just for anyone who's interested in video games and Norse mythology. This is kind of off topic. I think it's called Dark Child. And it's about, you play the video game as a, it might have been a Kickstarter, but you play the video game as a troll, the child of a troll. Hmm. And the opening scene in the, like, the trailer is like, your family gets just murdered by like some really, like essentially some people who are afraid of trolls because they're hunting trolls because trolls are bad in Norse mythology. But then you play the game as this troll and have to essentially survive as this child with your family lost and Aww. take revenge on these humans. Like, it's it's very, um, it kind of flips the dynamic. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting because um, it's not what you'd classically think of as a troll. I think it looks very Scandinavian in the fact that, like, oh, the troll under the bridge. No, it's, like, it's just kind of like this hairy thing. I don't know. It doesn't look like what you'd imagine a troll would look like if you were to think of, for example, J.R.R. Tolkien's series or any classical high fantasy that most of them have taken the idea of the troll from Norse mythology and from Scandinavian culture and formed it into something else that is different from what it was in the original thing. And I think this one seems similar to it. (laughs) Sounds like a bonus. It's like a video game. I'm not even sure if it's out, but it's definitely worth checking out if you're interested in that sort of thing. If I can find it, I will put it in the show notes. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> I think I'll, I'll help you find it because I think it was a video. I'll we'll at least link the video. Okay. Uh, I think it was called Dark Child, but I'll we'll look it up. Cool. All right. So those are our winter recommendations, and now now we will get into our recommendations of the week. Yeah. All right. So my recommendation of the week is kind of sentimental, as has most of this thing been. Winter is like just a dreary. It's a time of year for me that just, like, I spent a lot of it with family. It's when I was introduced really to board games because it's one of the only times that I got to see my family from California who was really, really into board games. My recommendation is to do a puzzle. So I'm not even a big puzzler, but I don't know, just around winter, around the holidays, there's always a puzzle going on in my house. So get a puzzle out, put it out, even if, you know... You don't do it every day. It's kind of fun when your family comes around and there's a puzzle and you can just kind of sit down with your family members and do something. And we did a puzzle while we listened to the Night Circus. That was our first audiobook experience. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, they're great. If you're going to listen to an audiobook and you need something to do like us, like we can't really listen. We we do sit down and listen to an audiobook sometimes, but like we usually want something to do it's, with our It's hands. more fun to listen while you're doing something. Yeah. So puzzles are a great thing to do when you're listening to an audiobook. Mm-hmm. 
And my recommendation of the week kind of goes along with that. My recommendation of the week is a holiday beverage. <laughs> if you like tea and you like eggnog, just stick them together. Make a chegg. It's a chai tea latte with eggnog in it. It's so good. Chegg is definitely something from your family. I've never heard anyone call them cheggs outside your family. You can get them at Starbucks. They're not called cheggs. They're called chai tea lattes with eggnog. Yeah, whatever. It's called the chegg. I have one right now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. We make them all the time at my house during holiday season. It's yeah. great. Yeah, they're pretty good. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode 13 of The Hobby Shelf. We hope you enjoyed it. And we would greatly appreciate it if you would click that subscribe button and leave us a review so that you can find us later. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Hobby Shelf, or you can send us an email at thehobbyshelfpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us at brennadaviesediting.com slash thehobbyshelf. All of the books and games we mentioned will be in the show notes, along with our recommendations of the week. We are grateful to record this podcast on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Tsutina, the Stony Nakoda Nations, the Métis Nation of Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Tree 7 region of southern Alberta, where we live, play, and work. Listen to our next episode, where we talk about our favorite games and books of 2019. And remember, keep expanding your shelf. <laughs>